0: Welcome in to an emergency edition of the and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel, and Kevin Wade are both on the show as well. And we're doing this normally because we have a football recruitment of a commitment or some kind of basketball commitment, but we have a commitment to play sports. The Pac-12 has announced that they are bringing back Football. They are also bringing back basketball. We're going to break down all the details coming up here on this emergency edition of the Odds and Audible's podcast. Before we do, it's the perfect time for you guys to sign up to DuckTerritory.com if, if you haven't already. We're offering 60% off an annual VIP membership for your first year. That's $42.96 billed one time for an annual membership Great opportunity for you to save a huge chunk of change now that we know sports are coming back in the Pac-12 very, very soon. If you don't want to do the annual payment plan, you can get your first month for $1.995 thereafter that. But just to give you an idea though, the type of savings you're getting, if you did the annual payment plan of $42.96, that comes out to paying $3.58 a month for an entire year of duckterritory.com compared to the monthly price of 9.95, So you're going to save a ton of money. Highly encourage you guys to go out and sign up today. Take care of this uh, promotion because it's not going to last very long. All right, guys. Biggest, big, biggest news in a while in the Pac-12 land uh, is that the Pac-12 is, has announced that they are bringing back football. They are bringing back winter sports. as as well as men's and women's basketball. Um, Big news here, the PAC-12 says uh, in large part because of the recommendations from the medical advisory that took into account material changes to testing capabilities, the prevalence of COVID-19 and cardiac issues, uh, and along with updated state and local health official guidance, the conference will resume its football and basketball winter sports seasons the season now starts for football. November sixth, games can can start being played. November sixth, uh, this is big news. Probably most of the games will start on November seventh. Teams can practice immediately. They Oregon, if they wanted to, if they were able to locally, they could practice tomorrow. They could probably practice tonight. Mario Cristobal's already sent out uh, some some tweets about how he's ready for the program. The school has sent out a hype video. Uh, a lot of schools are doing the same thing. From a basketball standpoint, they will begin play the weekend of November 25th, which is inconsistent with the NCAA's official start date for both of those sports, and then other winter sports consistent with the NCAA season dates of the, of those uh, starting as well, which is basically January of 2021. Um, this is a big day in, in, in the Pac-12. They've, they've finally been able to get here. The, the committee, uh, they, they they met today, 3 o'clock. We started seeing reports around just before 4 uh, o'clock. The league officially announced it, I think, shortly after, 4 p.m. on September 24th, six weeks or so when, since the date when they announced that they were no longer going to be playing uh, football the rest of 2020. So what a ride it has been, and – Eric we got some pretty good comments again from the Pac-12 they had multiple people on this conference call of why they made this decision and we got some pretty good facts about how they came to that decision as well
1: and first I want to say what a birthday for a birthday present for Mario Cristobal uh it's his birthday I think I believe today based upon what I'm seeing on social media it's not like I've spoken with him directly but uh I mean to get football back you know he's probably uh blowing out those candles feeling like his wish was was granted um and yeah, I mean, there's a ton of information. In my head is, is kind of spinning. I mean, we, we've we got uh, a, a, a very in-depth explanation from the Pac-12 in a release that really details the fact that this was a decision that was made deliberately and one that was made uh, with with the medical, and this is what they've said the whole time, with, with the player safety and the medical, um, I guess, advancements that were needed to be put in place with those now being made. You know, they spoke directly about the, Um, I think it's the the quiddle testing um, that was announced, what, earlier this month, or maybe it was late last month, um, that was a huge step in the right direction for this, um, about the new information they had regarding um, the cardiac potential issues, and and long-term, that was um, something that was brought up extensively uh, previously uh, when they made the decision back in August to um, postpone the season. Um, And and that there was, uh, that that the testing provided them, the daily testing provided them a lot more confidence in the ability to kind of mitigate this um, and and, and diminish some of those concerns. So at least from the the conference's perspective and and what they communicated, this was not about money, which is something uh, Oregon President Michael Schill said at least once. Um, This was entirely about making sure that this was a deliberate decision that was made with the science and data um, kind of leading this decision and so uh, I think it's the right decision I think it's a decision that gets everybody excited I think it's a decision that was made I don't want to say it's at the right time but a decision that was made at least in time to save a season um, another th- part of this that we should note uh, this season coincides so that the Pac-12 will at least be considered for the college Bowl playoff I know there's more to discuss on that later but Um, I think just everything kind of aligned really well here. Uh, One thing, though, that I think you just have to be aware of that Michael Schill did say towards the end of his, well, I guess early on in his opening statements, but towards the end of it was just that, and I'll read an exact quote here, we're moving forward now, but we're not moving forward with our eyes shut. If this is not sustainable, we will just stop playing. Um, And I think that needed to be said. Um, and I believe he interjected to say something. Uh, yes, to he say that. Uh he, he wanted to make sure that was communicated and that, that it wasn't just, hey, we're playing regardless of what's happening. Um, he was later uh, asked a follow-up question kind of regarding what sort of data they would need to see uh, in terms of making that sort of decision. He said it wouldn't just be one data point. They'd be considering a lot of different points to make a decision. And I think you know, you look around the college football landscape and, and you, we could argue probably for hours about the validity of playing or not playing. And what you're seeing around the country, regardless, um, certainly uncertainty week to week with which schools are actually able to play. I was just pulling it up and I, I think I found, I'll quote, s- sporting news here. I think there have been 25 games already through just, um, you know, part, part of the season in college football that have been postponed or canceled. Um, Houston, the Cougars have tried to play five games. They've all been postponed or canceled. Notre Dame, notably this week's game with Wake Forest, um, same thing. So uh, there is reason, as Shill brings up here, to, to at least be kind of concerned or at least be aware of the possibilities that hey, we're going to try to get things started on November sixth. We have every intent to play all of these games, you know, concluding on December eighteenth um, with a Pac twelve championship game. But it's not a thing where we're going to play through it if this is you know not manageable or not sustainable, like he said. So I, I, I think that's I applaud him for at least bringing that up. Because it is the realistic approach. It is the realism that, hey, you can't control this. And like I said, you're seeing it around the country uh, where there are obstacles popping up and the Pac-12 is aware of it.
0: It comes It comes on the same day in which here in Eugene, Lane County earlier in the day announced the risk as of high due to high numbers of COVID the last two days. I think it's 48 and 47 new cases in back-to-back days. Yep. The, the county itself announces that, people need to be extra cautious because the risk is high right now because of COVID also comes on the same day that Boulder County in Colorado uh, announced that they will not allow any gatherings, I I believe of 10 or more uh, for college age students, because there has been a run on cases uh, at the University of Colorado. Some of them I believe have reportedly been tied to frats and other, you know, off campus housing, but it comes, you know, those comments come on the, the same day that those two events happened within the, the Pac-12 footprint. So, yeah, I think shill has been pretty good about really coming in and, and hammering home uh, some some hard facts. That was one of them. Uh, previously, when, when he was on a conference call with media, uh, the U president, Michael Schill, said that even if the league wanted to try and play football – yeah, uh, early on in, in 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 this deal, that half the league couldn't because of local health restrictions that were out of control of the Pac-12's six schools. So I, th- I think Shill is, in in my eyes, and, and look, presidents. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that university presidents are. I, I'm paying attention to every single move that they make. But the last couple of weeks with President Shill, I've been pretty impressed with what he has done from in terms of just the messaging and and getting home certain talking points through this decision of canceling and now bringing back fall sports.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I know you look online and there are people, of course, skewering some of what the Pac-12 has done, that they were slow in this process, that they were behind. And, and, and clearly they were behind the Big Ten. Can't argue that. The Big Ten made a decision over a week ago to to, cons- to continue it uh, or to start right around the same time the Pac-12 is. At the same time, I think the word of the day or one of the words of the day for me was just the word deliberate. And you can, again, you can argue the validity of that point, but I think the PAC-12 has been deliberate. They have followed the science and they now felt comfortable coming back. And I don't know if I fully agree with the the point and argument that money didn't play a role here. In fact, I, I think I would just disagree on face value with that. But at the same at the same time, I think we can acknowledge that there was a, there, there were some advancements and some things took place here since the previous discussion we had following, um, I think it was it was the August 11th decision, where I even said, like, I'm kind of skeptical about anything happening in the spring unless there are some significant medical advancements. And I didn't know if that was, I was skeptical that could happen. We've gotten to that place now. And I guess I applaud them for getting to that point as well.
0: Now, Kevin, um, I think... Everyone, we, we, we find out Pac-12 is back. They're going to play college football. They're starting uh, November 6th or November 7th. Um, they're going to play six games, and then they're going to play uh, a seventh-seeded game. And we'll get to the scheduling aspect of that later on in the show. But everyone's excited. But then the next question becomes, what, what does this mean for the college football playoff? Are they going to get in? Do they have an opportunity to get in? And that was brought up in this call as well.
2: Yeah, so they, they released the schedule to have a seven-game schedule with the opportunity for the Pac-12 teams to make the college football playoff. And I think it is pretty notable that the Pac-12 did this because it comes the week after the Big Ten releases their eight-game schedule. Um, and so you, you look at the Pac-12 saying, hey, we've got to do this. And as Larry Scott said on the call, there is no minimum game requirement to make, the pack, to make the College football playoff So Pac-12 teams will be able to compete For those final four spots uh, He did know that there is no momentum To expand the playoff As some people have suggested um, That just comes with The ten different conferences and Notre Dame That make up the College football playoff committee They, they feel that the four teams Is right, so it is going to be difficult For Oregon to make the playoff uh, Or a Pac-12 team that is, but With the seven games, I think it's really gonna come down to how many teams or how many games do other teams across the other conferences play, noting that we are seeing some cancellations in different conferences right now. Um, I think this does set up a Pac-12 team to need to be rather perfect. And when we do get a schedule, I'd be curious to see how the schedule is laid out, um, just to see like, our teams gonna get maybe favorable Cross conference matchups to try and encourage a really, really competitive uh, Pac-12 title game on December 18th. We'll see, but I-, I think the Pac-12 did this with the motivation of playing for something. Because as Michael Schill, who, as you guys noted, has has kind of been the the leader for the Pac-12 CEOs, as he, I mean, he's their president, but he's talked a lot about this wasn't about the money but he did note that this was about the motivation of the players. The reason the Pac-12 didn't announce last week uh, when they had a meeting last Saturday is because Michael Schill wanted to talk to the players and resoundingly, the players wanted to play. And I think that was across all college universities, whether it was USC, their players putting out statements to telling the California government to play. I think uh, Cal's quarterback, Chase Garbers, did the same thing. So they did this because they wanted to give their student athletes the best chance to compete for something and compete for their goals. But as Michael Schill noted, it's a two-sided coin. You have to keep the athletes safe, which they're doing with the Quidel testing, but also giving them something to play for.
0: How much do you feel like – because I don't think this was asked, and if it was, I, I missed it in this bonehead question here by me, but I got to wonder, did the the We Are United front, did that – slow the process here because they, they came out and said that they wanted to play, but they didn't want to do it unless it was safe. And they wanted extra precau- they wanted precautions to be made, and they wanted some, you know, some, some I guess, some agreements to be made you know, on, on top of other off-the-field non-COVID-related stuff. And I got to wonder, that may have slowed down this process a little bit because Schill comes out, like you said, and says he wants to talk to the players before they actually kind of have a vote. I, I think that did have
2: an impact. I, it wasn't addressed, but I, I think there was some impacts of, hey, we need to make sure our players are on board and they're ready and they feel that everything is being safe. But this decision comes at a time where multiple universities have confirmed that they have received their testing units and are ready to get those online to start practicing. So I think some of the major concerns have been addressed. And I, I know they said this wasn't about the money, but – the Pac-12 definitely wants to prove that it is a competitor. It hasn't made the playoff for the past few years. And if you if you talk to the players within the conference, I, I think there is some, hey, we've got some teams that could compete, especially when they're only going to play each other. So I think that's going to prevent present an interesting case to the college football playoff committee. Like if one team blows out everybody else, they might be ready to play for the, a national title.
1: Not to butt in here too much, but uh, part of me does wonder, and Shill didn't say which groups he met with, but he did say met with multiple student groups. Part of me wonders if some of those discussions were had with with the Oregon's, at least members from that Pac-12 unity movement. And, and I, I guess I would be love to have been a fly on the wall there and kind of heard about those discussions. And I'm guessing we'll hear more in the coming days, now that there's been an announcement from that Pac-12 unity movement. I don't think that's just going to magically disappear now that football is scheduled to come back.
0: Yeah, that's a good point of will the Pact 12 unity movement, will they release some kind of statement? Will they show some support? Um, keep in mind, this all is was was done. And I, I said this on Twitter uh, and also on duckterritory.com earlier. Um, there was a big hoopla made up about how the conference didn't decide last week that they were going to play or, or, or they weren't going to play. I think it was a Thursday or a Friday. They came out, it was a Friday. They came out and said that you know, they'd met and they wanted to, to, to meet reconvene back uh, in about a week later, which is obviously today, and then make their vote. And there was some, some you know, dissent from outside people uh, about that decision. There was some, you know, anger towards that or, you know, uh, jokes thrown the Pac-12s away. And, and really nothing was going to change between a decision being made last Friday till now because- you know, the, the conference is, is football teams. They, they they told their players they need to come back, and they need to go through some kind of quarantine process. Now, some teams, they'd already been on campus. Their, their players hadn't left, uh, and they didn't, you know, or some of them, you know, or majority of them didn't have to go through the, the full quarantine because they'd already kind of gone through it already. Whereas other schools within the conference, all their players – or a majority of their players had left campus and they needed to re go through the onboarding system. So regardless, it didn't really matter when their decision was made. They still had to go through that onboarding quarantine process. And now that's, that's almost done. Um, it, it, it sounds like the next day or two, you know, a lot of these schools could be done with, with the quarantine, which could then allow practicing to begin. But like it's been said here and by Eric and Kevin, uh, and 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 we've said it as well uh, on on duckterritory.com, and the commissioner and President Shill and the other members of of the, the conference today re- reiterated that they still need uh, to get through some health stuff. Uh, as long as as long as health, local health authorities are okay with it, then they can practice. Like in Colorado, right now, at least call it you know. Colorado can't practice for two weeks because of of some restrictions that have been placed for college age students. So, it's it's a good step. We know football is back. We know you know teams can begin practicing. I, I'm sure the Arizona schools. I'm sure the Washington schools. I'm sure uh, USC starting tomorrow could have some kind of practice. When does Oregon start practicing? Um, that's going to be up up and you know we don't have those full details yet. But it it's not going to surprise me, right, guys? That they're on the football field doing some kind of practice the next couple of days.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they're running wind sprints as we're recording this. I mean, (laughs) Mario Cristobal might've sent out the, 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 like the bat call right there, bat signal, whatever it is for Batman. And had everybody come over to the um, HTC to start working on some stuff. That's obviously facetious, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting they're going to waste any time. Um, And, and I, and I, I think there's a legitimate question here um, of how much advantage and, and what about the competitive like, equity here for, and you mentioned it, the schools that have, been, have had their athletes on campus throughout this, a school like Colorado, who it sounds like might have a difficulty practicing. I know there's been some questions brought up about the schools in California as well, but um, like how much could that impact things early on? Um, we're talking about, I mean, there, we discussed the six-week timetable to ramp up here for a season that we look at where we are today, and when the season's set to start it's about six weeks so they're following through with that but uh it's not an equal playing field and i part of me wonders they haven't announced the schedule here but if that'll go if that'll factor at all into some of these decisions of like we don't want to have teams opening that have had kind of i guess unequal leads up lead-ups to this because there's, I would imagine some sort of competitive advantage to these schools, like you said, that have been, at least on campus, doing some sort of workouts uh, for the last month or so.
0: It,
2: now, it's kind of interesting uh, that Colorado was put on they, – they've been on campus, but then they, yeah. they've had a shutdown. So it will be interesting to see how a team like that reacts mm-hmm. uh, versus a team like Oregon, who wasn't on campus but is going to have the full six-week ramp-up period so I, I think that's something to also consider that Colorado has been on campus. I mean, they did just get in trouble for doing a 100-person hike <laughs> yeah. uh, recently. So,
1: Well, and we should also note that the previous um, iteration of the schedule, Colorado is the, the team Oregon would start its season against. And, and if, if they're not able to practice for two weeks, I was just talking about competitive equity. If that holds up as Oregon's first game, and Oregon would be favored regardless because Colorado's not very good, and Oregon's probably the best team in the Pac-12, um, I kind of wonder if that's, if that's a favorable schedule start for a variety of reasons now.
0: Now that plays right into the next part of the show is schedules. And Larry Scott did say uh, the press release that was issued did not give any kind of information about a future schedule for the conference other than the fact that uh, they will announce it in the next couple of days into next week. Uh, and that they're playing six games And then a a seventh game will be played, which it will pair up, you know, each, each seed. So one versus two, three versus four, five versus six, and on down the, the, the the ring here. Um, On the conference call though, Larry Scott was asked, since they're playing six games, I think what makes the most sense here is play your divisional opponents and play one crossover divisional game and then play that seventh conference. I guess we're going to call it championship weekend, if you will. Um, And Larry Scott did confirm, yes, that is going to be the plan. So Oregon will be playing Washington. They'll be playing Washington State, Stanford, California, Oregon State, and then they will be playing one game from a a Pac-12 South division opponent. And this is the caveat here. That Pac-12 South game will factor in who the Pac-12 sends from the Pac-12 North and who the Pac-12 South champions. So you're going to be playing some divisional games. You're going to have a divisional champion, but you're also going to be playing a non-divisional game that counts towards your division record. So uh, it's it's certainly going to be interesting to see this play out. Um, do you play the divisional game first? Do you do you play your rivalry game first to ensure that you get that game in? Uh, the scheduling components will come out, and that Larry Scott also said that they're going to try their best that they can possibly do to ensure that. Oregon and every other school, and he didn't, he didn't specifically single out Oregon, but every other school out there plays as close to a regular 2020 home and away schedule as possible so that they don't have to basically redo that in 2021 because they want to stay on track of their cycles, meaning Oregon should be getting a home game against Washington and a home game against Stanford and, they should be going on the road to Washington State. They should be going on the road to Cal. And they should be going on the road to Oregon State and then playing the Pac-Twelve South champion Pac-Twelve South opponent uh, at home. I, I guess the question for both of you guys, and I'll give my take after this after you both answer, do you want to play the weakest Pac-12 South opponent or do you want to play the toughest Pac-Twelve South opponent possible so that you puff up your resume for a, a, as maybe as low of a possibility as there is, but you still have a chance of getting into the college football playoff. I,
1: for, for me, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, it kind of depends on how you're viewing this season. Is this a season where you, it's college football playoff or bust for Oregon, or is this a season that is – again, this is a weird season, so I don't know the answer – I'm sure that the answer from Oregon is going to be, we want to make the college football playoff. But I look at it from the outside and kind of go like, is it the worst thing in the world with this is a season where you just really work on being the best version of yourself that you can. And I guess my answer is the same both ways. If you want to play in the college football playoff, you want to play the best opponent and win and beat that opponent. And if you get an opportunity to host Utah or USC or Arizona state, that's probably better than the other three teams, at least preseason that would be my perspective and if you take it from the perspective this is a season where we're just we're not focusing entirely on the outcomes we're, you know and that's not to say they're not worrying a bit, that they're going into games not caring if they win or lose but that there's more it's more nuance now then I think you also want to play the best possible opponent you can um, even if there is you know a lack of scheduling equity and I think that's a big part here because it's huge it's a huge difference to play Colorado at home or Utah at home, right? I mean, like, that's that's not even close. Uh, you looked at th- those two teams the last couple of years and what they're expecting now. Um, it's pretty easy in terms of which is the more winnable game, but I think my argument would be more like, if you want to play in the college football playoff, you don't want to play Colorado. That isn't, that's not a win that's going to impress anybody. Um, and if you're just focusing on bettering yourself and the program, you want to be challenged as much as you can. And I don't know, not to make this a let's talk crap on Colorado podcast, but I don't know how much competitive advantage or – or benefit there is to playing a team like the Buffaloes, other than having maybe an early season warm up game where you go out and, and can win by four or five touchdowns and, and get your bench guys some minutes.
2: Well, I, I don't want to trash on Colorado either, but some <laughs> but of me is some of me is going to wonder if the Pac twelve opens the season giving uh, Colorado at Oregon and sorry Beavers, uh, but Oregon State at USC just so that they can set up for the two teams that are expected to be the best in the conference uh, to set up for that championship game weekend uh, on December 18th to really give the conference its chance at making the playoff. I mean, last season, if Oregon was a one loss team going after, didn't lose to ASU essentially, and that that Pac-12 title game, winner was getting in. And I think the Pac-12's best chance is to make a really strong resume argument on December 18th and hope that the seven games that they get off is enough to propel them past one of the other teams that that are in consideration for the college football playoff. So I think seeing this schedule when we see it is going to tell us if uh, the fix was in a little bit. I I don't think the Pac-12... is going to necessarily do that, but I think there could be some. Oh, those are some pretty easy cross divisional games uh, for certain teams, just to maybe help the case of, hey, we want a team to be as strong as possible because that's the only way they're getting in the playoff. And and to me, I think um, it, looking overall at Oregon as a team, I don't think that this year would be the year I'd peg them to go to the playoff, but. Um, I think out of the Pac-12 teams, they have the best chance. So I think Oregon's going to be a good indication of what the Pac-12 does when they make the schedule.
0: If if I'm the Pac-12 conference and you truly want to send a team to the to the college football playoff or have the best opportunity to do so, you need to embrace a little bit of SEC here. And you need to stack the deck a little bit for your programs who are a little better off than than the others to ensure that they have... A, a legit possibility of getting into the college football playoff. And for from an Oregon perspective, Eric, I'm, I'm going to trash Colorado. They stink. They're, they they're do, bad. They do, they do. They're not going to be a good team in, in, in 2020. And if they are, <laughs> look, they can go ahead and take these quotes, put them on the bulletin board and they can use it as motivation. I'm all for it, but they're not going to be good. And if I'm the pac 12, that's Oregon's first opponent week one, or that's, that's, that's Oregon's first home game week two, of this season they play Colorado they get they get a cream puff help them ease them in week one is a is a road game at Oregon State because look the Beavers probably aren't going to be a good team they're going to be improved but they're still not going to be you know better than Oregon they should be able to handle them week one the Beavers are a team you don't want to play later in the year once they've started to to kind of work through things get themselves into a rhythm they're going to improve as the year goes on you want to play Oregon State earlier in the year Washington state is a team I don't want to play because I don't know what Washington state is, you know, betting lines right now are going to be impossible to make from a PAC 12 perspective, because we don't know what, what this would be like. And if I'm, if I'm sitting here, I'm I'm giving Oregon a home game against Oregon state week one, you've got Oregon at home against Colorado week two. And then, from there, maybe you, you play a, a road game at Cal and then you, you play a home game against Washington and then you, you, you continue to schedule out these games. But if I'm the conference, I stack the deck a little bit for Oregon. I stack the deck a little bit for USC. I stack the deck a little bit probably for, for Utah and for Arizona State as well. I don't know if, if there's another team in the Pac-12 North that you can say is a true college football playoff contender, maybe a Washington the uh, cal maybe cow, cow. Maybe. <laughs> maybe
1: um
0: but i i i think oregon and usc are the two clear cut teams above everybody else you want to manufacture the best way possible with being fair as 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 most uh, in the best way possible you can be to everybody else but at the same time give if, if, if a team's going to get a break it's got to be oregon or usc so that you set up a game where it's 7 and a, it's 6 and 0 oregon versus 6 and 0 usc the last week of the season. Because I think if a 7-0 Pac-12 team is out there and there's other teams that have losses, they can get in. But if if, if, if they're going to have a loss, there's no chance they get in.
2: I completely yep. agree that it needs to be a perfect team. And and I think Oregon and USC can set themselves up. I mean, there was a lot of debate last year that Oregon shouldn't have played Auburn because, you know what, a, a one-loss team to ASU, if they would have just picked some other – random team probably gets into the playoff as a pack one loss pack 12 champion so this year a, a 7-0 and pack 12 champion probably does get into the playoff despite some early analysts suggesting that it might not
0: now well, let's let's end the show with some kind of question that we've got going forward for oregon football i, I think for me the obvious one, and I'm going to steal your guys' thunder, so you got to come up with something else, <laughs> is who plays, who doesn't play. We know Pene Sewell's not playing. We know Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore both are not playing as well. Um, they've officially opted out of the season. I think it's highly unlikely any of those three guys come forward and say that they're going to re, you know, renege their, their announcement and, and of opting out, and they're going to opt back into this season. We've seen it play out a couple other places, in other conferences, but those teams are playing sooner. They're playing more games, which in theory, air quotes, gives them a better opportunity of making the college football playoff. Um, Oregon's going to have to play seven games in seven weeks, go undefeated without, you know, non-conference games, kind of warm yourselves up a little bit just to have an opportunity to maybe make the playoff. I don't think those three guys come back. So my question then is, are there any other guys that opt out? Could we see a Jordan Scott opt out? What does Javon Holland do, who's a potential first-round draft pick? Does he play, or does he, or does he opt out? Uh, I, I think there's going to be some real serious discussions here in the next week or so, two weeks. Now that guys know they're playing, do you really want to play, or are you going to opt out?
1: And I think I'm going to piggyback off that and say my question is how well does can replace those players, whoever it is. You mentioned the three that are, are currently – set to not play. We could see that number grow. I think in theory, we could see that number. I know you just said you don't expect it, but in theory, maybe it could diminish if Thomas Graham or Diamond Lenore, who I don't believe we've seen officially that they've signed um, with an agent. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, could those guys jump back in? But regardless, uh, to me, it's like, how does Oregon replace Pene Sewell? How did they replace those two cornerbacks? How would they replace some of the players Matt just mentioned? And how does that impact a season? Um, how And how does that really... You know, some of them will come down to a the schedule looks like. How does that impact their first couple of games? Um, Oregon has been relying all season on um, Penny Sewell to be their left tackle and their only offensive line starter returning. What does this offensive line look like week one and week two now without him there? What are these? What does this defensive backfield look like if their two starting expected starting corners aren't playing, and maybe a couple of other defensive backs, or maybe Javon Holland is the only one. But I mean, some of these other players in theory might not be back too. How does Oregon replace those players? And and again, like what does that do for the impact of? We're talking about Oregon as a college football playoff contender. Can they re- realistically be one if they don't have a player like a Sewell, If they don't have these defensive backs we just mentioned, or if they lose a couple of other players? I mean, again, we're talking about them as a team that could go seven and on the Pac-12 and maybe represent them in the in in fourteen team playoff. Um, is that really a realistic expectation now if these players do not play? Because we're not talking about the back end of the roster deciding not to play. We're talking about arguably three of the best players on the team.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I kind of want to jump in after that. I think the... The Panay Sewell question is a big one just because of the offensive line. And to me, what does this offense look like? You're replacing an entire offensive line. You're replacing a star quarterback in Justin Herbert. You're new offensive coordinator, and you only got four spring practices under Joel Moorhead. I know that Tyler Shucks is the expected starter. He left the spring as the starter, but Anthony Brown is now there. He's been working with the wide receivers – although they haven't really had time to be in padded practice yet, but he's been working with the wide receivers. What does this offense look like? There are so many unknowns and we're not really going to get our first taste because there was no spring game until November 6th. And it's going to be very different in my opinion. And I I, I think there's just, you, you know, the pieces that are there at wide receiver, you know, what's there at tight end, but quarterback and offensive line, so many question marks, especially running a Joe Moorhead type offense and, How much pistol influence will there be? I'm very curious to see what this offense looks like and how they're able to attack it. I think we'll know quickly if Oregon is uh, the team that the top 10 team that had all of this hype. I know Joe Moorhead's very respected offensive mind. So I think there's reason for optimism. But until I see it, I need to see it to believe it. So I think the offense is the biggest question. The defense, Andy Ovalos does a great job there. They've got some studs in Mikael Wright and Dante Manning, so that's really not a question for me at corner replacing Thomas Graham. But the offensive line and quarterback issues, it's going to be something to watch.
0: I, I, through all of that, though, I still am not going to pick anyone outside of Oregon to win the Pac-12. Does that – does? Has that changed in your guys' mind, knowing that Sewell, knowing that Graham and Lenore aren't on this team? Are you still picking against Oregon to win the Pac-12 championship?
1: Um... That's a good question, Matt. And I have, I, I, I'll be honest, I need to look and take a more clear look about what other opt-outs have been around the conference and how that might impact the landscape. Um, my initial response is probably I, I still pick Oregon to win. I still think they have the talent. I still think that front seven is going to be just incredible. And I, like Kevin just said, I, I don't have – I mean, I know they're not going to be quite as good as they would have been with Graham and Lenore, who are, you know, would have been seniors and in Graham's case a four-year starter or Lenore a, start, a third-year starter at that position – um, those are instrumental players, but I still think that defense is going to be really freaking good. And I don't see an offense, I guess, in the conference that I think is really going to just, again, it'll depend on the schedule too, but I don't see an offense in the Pac-12 North. Let me put it that way. That I think is really going to exploit Oregon's defense. And so it kind of comes down to the offense and, um, and that's where there's so many uncertainties like Kevin was just saying. And so that's where it gets really interesting. I, I don't think it's changed my mind, but I certainly had to pause a little bit there when you asked that question because, they are a different football team without, again, three of their, I don't know, six best players, arguably. I mean, definitely their best overall player. And then I don't know how you want to rank Graham and Lenore, but they're in that discussion as top five, top ten players on the team. So, um, yeah, I guess long answer to a short question. I still like Oregon, um, but it's definitely a little bit different than it would have been a couple weeks ago when we thought all
2: those guys would be playing. I think Oregon, Oregon's odds, I definitely think, will remain the, the team to beat. In the Pac-12, I'm curious to see what Las Vegas does because Oregon was by and away the Pac-12 North favorite and the overall Pac-12 favorite. So, I think Oregon will stay there, but I'm very curious to see how Vegas treats this.
0: Nonetheless, we actually have football to discuss. No more uh, wondering if football is going to come back. No more pondering when football is going to come back. We know football is coming back. We know a date when it's coming back. We'll know opponents and we'll know opponents dates here in a couple of days. I think the overall mood of everything is going to drastically change. It's already changed for me. I'm pretty sure I can say it for you guys as well. Uh, We know football is coming back in the Pac-12. We know Oregon's going to be playing some kind of football against some kind of team uh, that's in the conference. They're going to compete for a conference championship. They're going to try and get into the college football playoff discussion like they do every single year. We're going to cover it all on duckterritory.com. You can take advantage of our subscription promo right now, 60% off an annual membership, billed one time $42.96 or go month to month with your first month being $1.995 thereafter that. So for Kevin, for Eric, myself, Matt, you've been listening to this emergency edition of the and Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you later.
1: Talk to you later, folks.